0: Hey guys, welcome to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. Today I just wanted to just to give you guys a quick walkthrough of probably the the economics of boxing and the economics of being involved in boxing it gets talked about a lot but it's never really addressed directly and the reason I say that is there are a lot of boxes that you might see in public and you wonder and you go well he seems to be doing well for himself but then you ask yourself do the numbers really stack up so the aim of today will be a quick one is just to give you that overview of what it's like being involved in boxing from an economic perspective and I think it's easier to start with with a best case scenario so let's say you're a young amateur and you've done all the things domestically. You're boxing for GB and you go to the 2020 Olympics. You fight in a sexy weight class. So we'll say you're a middleweight and you get a silver medal. So after that silver medal, you will be in demand because everyone knows what happens. The whole country stops to watch any final involving a Brit. So your profile sky high. You'd have had the media articles before, maybe some of the media articles afterwards. But you've got a high profile at this point. So now promoters are interested in you. And so you'll be offered a deal. And the deal traditionally is somewhere between £1,200 and 2000 pounds per round. That's the contract you sign. And 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 at this point, a lot of boxers make a mistake. And they assume that, you know, the promoters signing me in order to elevate and drive my career which isn't true the reason you get offered 1200 to 2000 around which in your first 3 fights is probably about a 25 grand investment it's very simple is to give you a platform as a boxer and go what can you do with this so we've seen people do it right <clears throat> And, as debatable as this point's about to be, it's okay, Lawrence Coley did it right in the beginning. Anthony Joshua did it right in the beginning. Joshua Botzi did it properly in the beginning. These are all guys who, on their debut, showed you that there's something to be excited about. That's what a promoter wants. So when they're paying you that two thousand quid around, that's what they're paying for. Just that impact. And they want to see that you can carry that on. So you're a boxer. And you're essentially going to fight four times that year. You might do three four-rounders and a six-rounder. Depending on your reputation for being fit, maybe you've done the World Boxing, uh, not the World, the World Series of Boxing, so the WSB. And Maybe you've done your, your, your five three-minute rounds. So four-rounders and six-rounders won't be a big deal for you. So you're going to do three four-by-threes and one six-by-three. And so how much do you earn from that? About 36 grand, which is probably less than you're earning a GB. And this is why it's so hard to give up the the comforts of being a top level amateur with GB. So let's say you earn 36 from your purses. Out of that 36, you're going to give up to 25% to a manager and you're going to give 10% to a trainer. So now you're looking at 24 grand your taxes, your living expenses, and all this stuff's going to come out of that. That's not a lot of money to live on when you're a full-time athlete. So then you look outside of that circle and you say, okay, what would I then do better with a clear head? Can you negotiate a contract that says, okay, I'll do two grand around and any tickets I sell over £10,000 or maybe £15,000, I get a cut of that as well. There's another option. I... I'm aware of some people that have a deal like that, not many. But obviously, these are, these are the terms that can be negotiated by the, the blue-chip prospects, the guys who are definitely going to be world champions and have lengthy reigns. So now you've got your 24 grand before taxes and living costs and so forth, and you realize it's not enough. It's just not enough. you know. Then you start to look outside and so say, okay, I'm going to need supplements. You can probably get someone like a bulk powders, uh, science and sport, USN, to, to give you free samples in exchange for social media posts, being in their advertising. You can do a deal. You can do a deal for equipment. and So, so you might not have to pay for the, the bits and bobs you need to be a boxer. But you still need money. You need money, maybe you get a sponsored vehicle, but you're looking for sponsors at this point. You're looking for guys who are going to put money into the pot on a regular basis, so that you can just go about live and not have to think about anything other than boxing so typical case scenario maybe you can get somewhere between two and a half and four grand a month in sponsorship of which you've got to pay someone a cut whoever either the the introducer to the sponsor or your manager so at this point you're now paying that out so Of that 48, you've got 36. That's taking you to about 60K a year. And at this point, remember, you're a top-level amateur. You're a top-level prospect. You're probably at that level for a couple of years. You might perform well. You might perform badly. But for a couple of years, you're good. And then those sort of contracts start to change. Then you start to get the purses. Once you've done your couple of years and you're fighting for WBC belts, and they'll say, listen, we're going to offer you 25 grand for a fight. 30 grand for a fight. But you have to earn that. And this is one of the challenges you have when boxers go from kind of raw prospect into guys who are fighting for those kind of fringe belts your WBA internationals. They don't understand that. At that point, it's about what you draw. You're gonna be offered a purse commensurate with what you draw. When you get given the flat rate, the two grand around. They're not bothered about what you draw because your name alone is a draw. Once people have seen you fight, the question becomes, do you draw money? And when you say that, look, we can name names of people who draw money. Ted Cheeseman draws money. Anthony Fowler, for all of his faults, draws money. These are guys who draw money. And because they draw money... They have access to bigger and better fights because the economics would support that. There are a lot of boxers who are super talented, maybe more talented than the guys I've just mentioned, but they don't draw a cent. So they can't dictate terms. But they still want to dictate terms because they see everyone else doing it. And this is when you read online how boxers have been hard done by by their promoters, by their managers, and they start to have a bitch and a moan. But then the question goes how much money do you draw? And they never have an answer because they don't draw money. So for a boxer, when you draw money, you determine your own career path. When you don't draw money, just know your career path is going to be longer and riskier. So another guy who draws money is Conor Ben. So Conor Ben can fight who the hell he wants. Because the economics of his situation mean that he can he can justify better quality opponents if he needs to. So the obvious question then to ask is, can anyone else draw money? Yes. So there are plenty of people who've been able to draw money without being Olympians. Tyson Fury was a prime example. He had the traveler community behind him and he could sell tickets. He could fill venues. Sometimes he had stinkers, but generally there were people that supported Tyson Fury and it justified the investment made in him. And I'm sure his family also invested. And this is another thing that people don't talk about sometimes the economics behind the box are so bad that someone has to finance their eyes so you can have a super talented prospect as a, as a middleweight who doesn't sell a ticket but is hard to beat and if they get money behind them that's it which is essentially we will pay for this guy's opponents just get him on the show we'll pay for the opponents we'll cover all the costs and you can push it that way and if you go back to the 80s, that was the model that they had with Tyson. So Bill Caton and so forth essentially bankrolled Mike Tyson's career till he got to a certain level. And that meant everything was covered. Mike didn't have to worry about anything other than fighting. And what I presented to you now is the best case scenario, right? And in any given year, there are about three or four people who get to experience that best case scenario. Most other boxers are on ticket deals. And it goes back to the point I made earlier. How much money do you draw? It's a more naked assessment of your real economic value. you know. And this is probably true on the small hall scene, but it's equally true amongst the televised boxes. Guys you're watching TV have to run around selling tickets. Uh, not worth naming names in, in terms of, oh, he's struggling. Or, but like there are guys who are massive ticket sellers, like a Joe Mullender, will do big numbers in tickets guy like Dan Dan Keenan will do big numbers in tickets. And no one really knows who they are. But they do sufficiently high numbers of tickets that when they say we want to fight so-and-so, the economics stand behind them. And these are the calls promoters make. People assume that promoters, especially at the level of prospects on their way up, they, they assume promoters have a personal agenda. I don't believe they do. What promoters want to do is they want to, they want to have a card of people that draw money. That's it. I want Because when, when I've got people on my show who draw money, the atmosphere is better. It's full. It's packed. The venue loves me because the bar's busy. The pictures look good. The event rocks and people talk about it. The word of mouth spreads. You can have all the skillful fighters in the world that you want and if there's only 15 people, and there are promoters who have done this, if there's only 15 people watching, fighters don't love it, the fans don't love it, and eventually you just get tired of losing money. So it's a horrible dilemma that promoters find themselves in because you can be a boxing fan and love someone as a boxer, but the economics don't stack up behind pushing them. And we see this with some fighters when we wonder why they don't get title shots. It's just simply too expensive for the amount of additional revenue, incremental revenue that these boxers generate. So these small hall guys who are scratching around and they have second jobs and side hustles, maybe they're personal trainers, they're sparkies, they're brickies, they're, they do something. Because they've got families to feed. Boxing four times a year on the small hall scene might only make them £8,000 a year. You can't live in London for £8,000 a year. So you have to be out there hustling and some people are on the right side of the line, some people go on to the wrong side of the line. But essentially, that's where you end up. You know, you, either your fans pay for you to box or you pay for yourself to box. And it's cold like that. You know, this is why you see a lot of careers rise and fall pretty quickly. The economics just don't support it. So I say all of that just to reinforce this point that you have a choice when you sign as a professional boxer. You either view yourself as an employee and therefore, you, you'll get what you're given. Or you view yourself as a business from day one. Even before you sign your first professional contract, you understand that you are your own business. And you hustle and you graft and you scratch. And you, you do whatever it takes to make that money. And when you do that and you justify your, economic, your position, your economic potential, you tend to have more guidance over your career. And so when you see a lot of these boxers complaining and saying the promoter hasn't done enough for them and Joe Gallagher did this with Callum Smith but then you look at Callum Smith and say what have you done for your own career? In 2019 it's not enough to just be a boxer but I don't believe it's ever been enough to just be a boxer. You have to be a personality because that's what people buy into. They buy into the personality. They buy into the backstory. They buy into you the person as well and if you're not prepared to offer that then they're not going to give you their cash. They're not going to give you their heart. They're not going to give you their interest. You know, all these small things boxers should be doing. Talking to the fans at shows. Doing the pictures. Signing a glove. You know, Giving a bit of themselves. Not many boxers do this. How many times, and this is for people who know boxers, how many times have you seen a boxer with all sorts of mad videos they post in the group chat and you're saying to yourself, why don't you post that online, touch it up a bit, put a bit of colour pop in there, you know, bit of contrast, a couple of stutter effects, decent soundtrack, put it on there, let people listen, let people get engaged, let people know who you are, but a lot of fighters, they're, they're lazy. And that's one of the good things about boxing, and it's one of the few areas I agree with Steve Goodwin about. Boxers should have to earn the right to fight on a consistent basis. It shouldn't be a legacy thing. If you can't do 120 tickets on a small horse team, should you really be boxing? Probably not. doesn't matter how talented you are. If you can't get 120 people to come and see you box, you haven't done enough. You're not a professional. You're an amateur. That's the reality of it. Because if you've been an amateur for four or five years, how the hell do you not know 120 people that will buy your tickets, if you're any good? I always go back to, I'm trying to remember the year, it might have been 2012, when Ted Cheeseman had his first senior bout. And people pretty much came to watch Ted Cheeseman box as a senior for the first time, packed it out. And you knew from then that Ted Cheeseman would always be good for ticket sales. But his whole family network worked for that. Even now they still work for that. You know, I always thought Ted Cheeseman was a Millwall fan. It now it turns out he wasn't. But he has that association with Millwall because of the whole Bermondsey thing. You know, So I look at guys like Ted Cheeseman who could move tickets, guys like Charlie Wynn that could move tickets, and I hope Charlie Wynn makes a full recovery. I still pray for him and please everybody keep charlie winning your prayers as well all of these guys invested in the amateurs that's when they started to make that investment shaking hands kissing babies being in pictures and then performing in the ring and looking good doing so the days of the days of the mindset being I'm a professional, you pay me for my profession, i dead. I pay you for your economic value. I give you money in the hope that we all make money. And if you can't deliver that as a boxer, you'll struggle. And, and the thing is, there are people who are willing to help. So I always talk about my friend Jordan Foster at Portobello, who's doing incredible things. And if you don't believe me, just bear in mind how many people know who Charlie Duffield is now. Charlie Duffield's never won a senior title. But you all know who Charlie Duffield is, listening. And if you don't, you're about to check Instagram, you're about to check Twitter, you're about to check Google, and you'll know who he is. And the reason you'll know who he is is because of the work Jordan Foster put in, both on a strategic and at an operational level. Yet so few boxers talk to him, so few boxers work with him. He's not the only one, man. Like Guys like Colin Middlemaster are trying to hustle the same thing as well. But no one's talking to these guys. Why? They're lazy. If you're willing to, to let these guys like Jordan and Colin eat off their labour, they'll help you be bigger than you are. Yet boxers refuse to do this. You know, how many boxers have been pros for four or five years and they don't self manage? They complain about their manager all the time, they don't self manage. Because they're lazy. So as fans, when you wonder why the boxing product doesn't improve, it's because no one's taking the risk of getting outside expertise in, like every other sport has done. There's a reason why guys like Jorge Mendes are incredibly wealthy men and powerful men in football, because they know their job better than a footballer does. And boxers need to realize that there are people who know the commercialization of an athlete better than they do, probably better than their manager does. And it's time for boxers to start taking control of their career. I think more boxers should be self-managed. I think Chris Congo should be self-managed. I think, you know, maybe Isaac should be self-managed. I don't know who manages him. O'Hara should be self-managed. All these guys should be self-managed. And they could easily club together and set up a facility where they could all tap into the same services, just share it amongst themselves. Instead of getting shafted left, right, and centre. But until boxers change their mindset from being a worker to being a boss or an owner, they're always gonna struggle with this. You know, there's only a handful of British boxers who earn more than a quarter of a million per fight. Right? The rest all struggle. And once you take those percentages out, very few of them are living well. They may perpetrate it online. But a lot of them don't live well. They live at home or they house share. They do this, they do that. It's a hard struggle. Until you get to British level, I don't think the economics of boxing are lucrative enough for it to be a full-time profession. So you've got to look for sponsorship and you've got to look for opportunities to grow outside of your core. That's what Gaza Umar Sadiq knew from the beginning. But he had a good manager by his side. That's why you invest in quality management. You get looked after. Connor Ben. Really well looked after. You know, and that's not the same for everyone in the match stable. like Ted Cheeseman has a profile, but does he monetize it well? Not necessarily. Will he change it? I don't know. Daniel Dubois, does he commercialize fully? No. Could he? In time, I think he could. But all of these guys need to start thinking like bosses and owners and saying, "Where should I be investing?" My time, my energy, my resources. What will give me the biggest return? Is it a Jordan Foster? Is it a Colin Middlemass? Is it—is it Andy? Is it whoever? Because it's not Steve Goodwin. And that's not me saying anything other than Steve can never get you to a British title, but Steve's not going to get Nike at your door. And it's not Dennis Hobson. Dennis Hobson's not going to get Nike at your door. But they don't care. The thing about these guys is they're self-made men, which I respect all of them for. Like Steve Goodwin, boxing's a sideline. It's not his day job, really. Dennis Hobson, boxing's a sideline. It's not his day job. So they, they don't necessarily need to go above and beyond for anyone. But I'm sure they'll be willing to help anyone that's pushing the boat out, anyone that's trying to do something different, and it's working but it's on boxers, it's on the teams around them, because a lot of the young boxers now are surrounded by people that don't know shit about this sport, that don't understand how you make a living in this sport. And until they surround themselves with people who understand how to make a living in this sport, the economics will always turn against them. So next time you're around a boxer and they start talking about how their career stalled, this, that and the third, remember. Remember. If they were doing the economics, they'd be fighting whoever they wanted, whenever they wanted, wherever they wanted. That's the reality of it. Promoters don't give a hard time to their golden goose. Well, the goose that lays a golden egg, I should say. They just don't. It's not worth it financially, and they don't want to lose them to a rival. But I just wanted to get that off my chest. It's something that's been bugging me all week, you know, in terms of fighters complaining about their situation. You know, as I always say, let's carry the discussion on Twitter, Instagram, at Highfield Boxing. You know, stay in touch, please like, share, review us on iTunes. You know, let's spread the word and let's spread the gossip. Thanks guys and have a great day.